Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. We got a big episode for you today. If this does not red pill you and everyone you know, I, I don't know what will. Like we are about to take the mask off of everything that's been happening for the past year and a half and actually everything that has been happening before that, at least as much as we know. So We've talked about the Great Reset on this podcast before. I wish I could say it was a conspiracy theory. Like, I wish I could just put on my tinfoil hat and say, you know, none of this is really happening, but it's fun to talk about. That's not the case. Like, we are talking about the facts of what is going on in the highest levels of both national and and global governance and influence and how everything that's been happening for the past year and a half, and like I said, beyond that, plays into it. Now, I'm going to warn you, like this is going to be overwhelming at times, okay? Like there's probably going to be times when you're going to have to pause this and you're going to have to just take a deep breath and remind yourself that God is sovereign and it's scary. Like I'm I'm not going to lie to you, but I really, really encourage you to listen to or watch this entire episode, to share it with everyone that you know, to beg them to listen to it and watch it and then go Uh, talk about it with them and do whatever you can to be involved where you are to speak up about that which is good and right and true because that matters. It might seem sometimes in this episode like there's nothing you can do. I don't believe that. I I simply don't believe that. And then at the end, I'm going to leave us with some um, encouragement, with some biblical encouragement, because at the end of the day, um, God is on his throne. He is the one that's sovereign. But gosh, I cannot recommend you uh, listen to this uh, interview anymore. So without further ado, here is Justin Haskins. Justin, thank you so much for joining us again. Can you remind everyone who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, My name is Justin Haskins. I am the editorial director and a research fellow at the Heartland Institute, which is a national free market think tank. And at the Heartland Institute, I head our Stopping Socialism Center there, um, the director of that center. And we have a website, stoppingsocialism.com, and a whole bunch of events that we run every year. And our goal is to fight against socialism and especially teach younger kids about, uh, younger people, the, the importance of capitalism and free markets and individual liberty and the dangers of socialism and collectivism. Well, that is really important work, and we're glad that you do it. You've been on the podcast before. We talked about the Great Reset. We'll link to that previous episode in the description of uh, this show um, and a lot of good feedback about that show because a lot of people didn't really know if the Great Reset was anything beyond uh, conspiracy theory. And now, you know, several months later, we're still talking about it. And one thing that I've seen people talk about a lot that I just don't fully understand, you know, what is going on here um, is BlackRock and BlackRock buying a bunch of homes. So can you tell us, do those two things go together? What is BlackRock? What the heck is going on? Is it a conspiracy theory? Just break it all down for us. Sure, sure. So uh, first of all, there is uh, it is an important issue. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. Um, it's not about just one single company, BlackRock. For a lot of reasons, BlackRock is the one getting all of the attention. But mm. the fact of the matter is there's a whole bunch of corporations who are buying up property. And they're buying up a lot of middle class homes or homes that the middle class would traditionally be interested in buying. In some cases, buying up whole developments. 
uh, 15% of all homes for sale in the first quarter of this year were purchased by corporations. Um, in cities like Houston, uh, corporations and investment management groups have purchased one quarter of, of homes uh, that were for sale, available for sale. Um, there was, uh, the Wall Street Journal did a really influential report earlier this year that kind of sparked this conversation because there was this whole housing development in a suburb of Houston called Conroe that was mm -hmm. purchased by a corporation, the entire housing development. And uh, nobody expected that that was going to happen. They just showed up and paid millions of dollars to buy every single home in this new development. There are uh, zip codes in the Atlanta area, uh, which is which is full of corporate uh, corporations buying up these homes. Uh, there are zip codes in the Atlanta area where certain years, 90% of the homes for sale are purchased by corporations. Wow. Uh, so there are large corporations and investment management groups like BlackRock and Blackstone, which is different from BlackRock, mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of others that are purchasing these homes. Um, it isn't a problem everywhere, which I think is is one of the most important things for people to understand. Uh, when people talk about um, these companies going up and snatching homes everywhere they can find them, that's not exactly true. They're targeting markets where it makes sense for them financially to buy these homes. They're coming in, they're outbidding everybody in the area, and they're buying homes en masse. But it's not everywhere. It's only in desirable locations which of course is a problem because they tend to be middle homes for the middle class. And, and so it's really hard in these markets for families who normally would be able to afford these homes to, to buy them because they're competing with these big gigantic corporations who are able to afford paying a lot more for these houses. And why are they doing this? Okay, so there are a variety of reasons for why they're doing it. I think the primary reason they're doing it is because uh, housing can be a very good investment. They are, they, these large corporations have access to capital right now at a very, very low cost. And what I mean by that is they can go to banks and they can get loans for millions or hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars in some cases um, to purchase huge amounts of property or several kinds of uh, property developments and things like that over a long period of time. Uh, at very, very low interest rates. When regular people go to get a mortgage today, and, and right now mortgage rates are very, very low, they're paying between two to 4%, depending on their credit and other things, um, their down payment, that sort of thing. These big corporations can, can get access to massive amounts of money for a little over 1% interest rate. Now, that doesn't seem like a whole lot, like maybe that's not a huge difference, but it is, it's, it's half in some cases. Some, in, some, in some situations, it might be a third of what you're able to get it at. Mm -hmm. And they already have lots of money. So if, if you're uh, a bank, who are you going to give the loan to? Are you gonna give it to some regular person who may not ever pay it back or to a giant corporation? And yeah. are you gonna give them a better rate than regular people? So there is a, it's a good investment for them. They have access to this capital. And the reason they have access to this capital is because of all of this money printing that's been going on from the Federal Reserve. And uh, that's the main reason, that's the driver behind all of this. And it hasn't just been going on this past year. This has been going on for well over a decade to varying degrees. It's just increased in the past year or so because of all of the money printing that's happened with the Federal Reserve. 
So some people speculate that the Federal Reserve and these big banks and these corporations are actually intentionally in cahoots to basically try to, for lack of a better word, screw the middle working class. Do you think that's true or is that a conspiracy? So I think that there there is no doubt that they're in cahoots and they are working together. The question is, are they doing it because they want to screw the middle class? I think the answer is not really. I think this is actually a symptom of a much larger structural change, a much larger movement that's being pushed by these elites at these big financial institutions and on Wall Street and in corporations and in government and elsewhere, international institutions. It's all part of the Great Reset type stuff that we had talked about before. This endless printing of money that's been going on is is not being distributed equally to people throughout society. It's mostly being concentrated in the hands of these big corporations and these big financial institutions at the top. The money is circulating from banks to corporations to investment managers. That's what BlackRock is, is an investment management company. And they're all getting really, really rich off of this. Now, I believe that there, in a sense, it is a form of collusion, I guess you could say, that they're doing all of this. They all know each other. They all hang out at Davos with each other. I do believe there is a plan here, but I don't think the goal is, well, let's just screw the middle class. I think the goal is, Let's get as rich as we possibly can using this system for as long as we can possibly do it. And in the process, we become really powerful and really influential and we can help change society and alter society and and create wokeness throughout our society. Yeah. So are are they trying to would they say that would they say that they're trying to make society more equitable somehow? Is that like how they kind of, I don't know, mask their greed? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that that's what they're saying is the purpose of the Great Reset, and this is a part of the Great Reset, I believe, is to make society more equitable, to make it greener. Uh, This whole ESG system that we've talked about before on your podcast of, of reworking the way that we evaluate corporations and businesses so that um, instead of just looking at how good the products and services are that a corporation produces or how happy this customers are, how much money you make, we look at those things, but we also look at this elaborate system of metrics called ESG metrics, environmental, social, and governance metrics, so that companies that may not be as profitable may not produce uh, services that are uh, as good or uh, as desirable in the marketplace as some other company um, is valued higher um, because they are woke uh, mm-hmm. based on all of these ESG metrics. This is the system that's being rolled out. It's already in place in many corporations. And so there is, there's no doubt about it that that's a huge component of it. They want to use their economic power to alter society. Yeah. The question that you asked is, is this, you know, why are they doing this? Is, is it really because they care about these woke causes or are they just trying to get really, really rich? I think personally, they're just trying to get really, really rich. Yeah. And that all of these woke causes that they've adopted is a way of getting the the far left to buy into all of this and allow this to go on. Yeah. So they've created this alliance with, with people on the far left. They'll leave them alone because these, these while and watch while these big corporations snatch up property, while these banks print trillions and trillions of dollars of the Fed and uh, all these people get filthy rich. 
the left will allow this to happen because these institutions are promoting left-wing causes. And I think that's the primary motivation that's behind a lot of these things that are going on. You know, what you said about the ESG score makes a lot of sense when you hear conservatives asking, myself included, like, why do these companies want to risk polarizing potentially, you know, half of their customer base? Don't they just want to make don't they just want to make as much money as possible? And so why do they latch on to these policies that they know are really unpopular? And obviously, I think one of the reasons is that they know conservatives just don't tend to boycott and they don't feel like they can. Okay, it's really hard not to use Amazon or Twitter or a lot of these big corporations. So they know that they probably won't lose that many people, but also, if they can be if if they can get a lot of value from promoting these kinds of woke causes that you know will end up giving them profit uh, in a way that you know just having conservatives like them wouldn't, then that makes a lot of sense when they are kind kind of weighing this cost benefit analysis. Like they're okay with losing customers like me and you because at the end of the day. Um, they have they have value elsewhere, basically. Yeah. Um, and can you back up a little bit, just for those who maybe didn't watch the previous episode with you? What what is the what is the Great Reset, and how does all of this kind of tie together? Right. So the Great Reset is a slogan. It's a slogan that was created uh, by the World Economic Forum and by a bunch of uh, of global elites that got together in 2020. They launched this in June of 2020. Uh, it was a who's who of big institutions. Uh, heads of corporations were there. Um, the World Economic Forum was sort of the leader of this. They're the folks that are behind the uh, annual Davos meeting that everyone always loves to talk about, brings in big, rich celebrities and and uh, heads of corporations and stuff every year. They talk about how they can make the world a better place. Um, that's held in Switzerland. Um, the uh, uh, Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales, the United Kingdom was one of the co-hosts of this meeting. The head of the United Nations was there, the head of the International Monetary Fund. Um, uh, there were people like John Kerry and Al Gore have, uh, endorsed it. John Kerry was very open about the great reset and Joe Biden's support for the great reset, even though Joe Biden didn't necessarily come out and talk about it specifically. So what is the great reset? It is a movement to transform the global economy. The great reset is a, is a slogan that they came up with. It means pushing the reset button on the global economy. They want to move from what they call a shareholder capitalist system, which is our sort of our modern economy, to what they're calling a stakeholder capitalist system. And what they mean by stakeholder capitalist is collectivist capitalist. They want to change our market economy so that um, companies that are operating, banks that are operating within the economy have to put the collective before profits before shareholders before customers before the quality of goods and services and it's it's that manifests itself through this ESG system right gotcha. the e is environment so like in, in climate change and air quality and all of these things and social justice causes would be the s and g is governance it's like responsible governance of the actual businesses themselves. And so some of the things that they want to do, like uh, not do business with people who engage in child labor, for example, uh, is great. That's a good yeah, thing. Yeah, but they'll but never do that because they, I mean, 
mean, they'll never do that because that would mean excluding China. And China has to be a huge part of this, right? Well, China always China China always gets around all of these things. Right. They, the, the rules never apply to China. Uh, but the the idea behind the Great Reset is to change the Western world. They gotcha. have no control over the Eastern world. The West is all that they can control. The West and is that's the problem. Really Right, exactly. And going back on what you said earlier, because what you said earlier is so, so important. You hit on a really important point about why would these companies go along with all of this? Why would they do this if they're going to lose and alienate all these millions of customers? Right. The reason that they're going to do it is because the massive amount of money printing that has occurred over the past decade and a half or so has created so much wealth amongst these elites and these banks and these uh, uh, investment management companies that they control way more money than all of the customers in America combined. To give you some sense of what's going on here, uh, a company like BlackRock has $9 trillion in management. It manages $9 trillion worth of wealth. If you take the top 10 investment management companies in the world, like BlackRock, uh, State Street Investments, there's there's a bunch of them, uh, subsidiaries of banks, and you just take the top 10 and you add all their wealth together, it's more than $34 trillion of wealth. The entire GDP of the United States of America last year was less than $21 trillion. All consumer spending combined last year was about 13 trillion, 12.5 to $13 trillion. So these people control way more money, way more wealth than you or I or all of the American public combined. That's how much money they have. And where did this money come from? It came largely from this money printing that's been going on with the Fed and them pumping it into these financial institutions and then the money being circulated around these big fat cat Wall Street firms and hedge funds and banks and all of these people. They're all getting really, really rich and they're taking that money and they're buying stock in these companies, and they're essentially forcing these companies to go along with it. And frankly, they're all they're fine with going along with all this ESG score stuff, this woke stuff, everything else, because they're all getting rich too, all the heads yeah. of these corporations. So the reason they're going along with it, and the reason they don't care about boycotts from people like us, is because even if every single American boycotted companies, we still don't have anywhere near as much wealth as these elites at BlackRock and places like that. So how does this play out then? Like, uh, explain it to us like we're five to take a quote from Michael Scott about this collectivist capitalist uh, capitalism. What does it look like if um, if these companies and if this, you know, group gets their way? What it looks like is. Uh, the, the transformation that would occur is you would have big, large uh, government programs, you know, Green New Deal, all of the things that they're trying to push in Congress right now um, in, in America and in Europe and, and elsewhere in the West, right? Uh, they would have all these big, gigantic programs and expansion of the welfare state. That would be part of it. That would be That would be the part that deals with people who don't have any wealth. And then the other part of it would be creating this ESG system where companies are now being evaluated based largely on their devotion to left-wing causes. And the companies that refuse to go along with this or who don't do very well on these scoring metric systems that have been created 
won't get access to capital. They won't be able to get bank accounts. They won't be able to get loans. They won't be able to exist unless they comply with the system that's created by this ESG system, uh, this ESG metric system. The whole point of the ESG system is to create a system that allows you to tell who the good companies are from the bad companies. That's the whole point of it, so that we can exclude all the people who won't play ball and include only the companies that will. And to give you some sense of just how far reaching this is, the ESG, one of the big ESG reports that was produced about Facebook actually gave Facebook a low ESG score. And the reason they gave Facebook a low ESG score was because they said they weren't doing enough to censor people. They needed wow. to do more to censor people. So it's, it's as minute as that. Um, they are rolling this system out all over the world. More than 80% of, of large companies in the United States already have ESG systems in place. This has been going on for a long time. It's been building. And so what is the economy going to look like in 2030? It's going to be the rich are going to keep getting richer. They're going to use that wealth to buy more stock, more power over these companies, force them to become even woker than they are today. They're going to use that wealth to buy up property, and they're going to turn our society into a renter society where we're all dependent on these big corporations for virtually any everything. And they're going to use the financial system to kill all of the industries and companies that they don't like. So you won't need to pass a law that says that Ali Stuckey can't talk about, I don't know, transgenderism on Twitter. They won't need to do that. All they'll have to do is create an ESG metric that punishes Twitter for not punishing you. And Twitter will just go ahead and punish you anyway. They're already doing this because the system is already in place and it's already starting to be rolled out. So the world is going to look sort of like what we see today, but just on steroids. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And it really is, the I think, the most important issue of our time because it touches on all these other things that you and I care yeah. and talk about. And we just don't realize how interconnected they all are. All right, a really bad habit that I have and that I think probably a lot of millennials have is uh, forgetting to cancel my subscriptions and then accidentally paying money that I shouldn't be paying for a service that I don't use anymore. And you probably have at least been in this situation once and you're like, I can't believe I wasted that money, but there's nothing I can do about it now. That is why Truebill exists. Truebill is an app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year using Truebill. So this tells me that this is a problem that not only I have. Uh, because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. All you have to do is link your account and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill has over 2 million users and helped them save over $100 million combined that's amazing. This person, Matthew B, says, in a matter of seconds, I saved $660 for the year on my DirecTV bill, saved $120 for the year on my Series XM bill, saved $840 a year on car insurance. So don't fall for subscription scams. Save money. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Allie. Go right now to Truebill.com slash Allie. It could save you hundreds of dollars at Truebill.com slash Allie. Allie. 
So to bring it back full circle to the BlackRock thing, so are they, they're purchasing these properties, and sorry if you already said this, to make them into rental properties to try to basically make the middle class perpetual renters so they can't gain equity and all the things that kind of help you accumulate wealth? There's no doubt that they are buying up properties and they are using them as rental properties. That's the primary way that these large corporations, uh, it's the primary reason for why they're buying up the property. Uh, the motivation is partly, I mean, we're, we're now kind of speculating what their motivation is, right? It's very possible that that is a big component of it, is we just want to consolidate wealth, consolidate power, and make everybody dependent on the, the ruling class because we know better than everybody else. Um, there's no doubt that I think that there's a component of that going on. I also think that there's a strong financial motivation for this, though, because they know that the the Fed is printing so much money, and we're talking trillions and trillions of dollars more than they than they printed back in the 2008 financial crisis. Trillions and trillions of dollars more than then. Um, they know that the Fed is printing so much money that the dollar is eventually going to have to be phased out and probably some kind of digital currency is gonna to have to be bought in. And if you know that that's coming and these people are all at the very top of, of these systems, so if there is something like that in the works, they would know it, um, then the best thing you can do is buy hard assets, buy gold, buy, uh, buy mines, buy property, buy farming, and that's what we're seeing these these elite institutions do. They're buying up these houses, I think in large part, because even if the dollar crashes, a house is still worth a house. And that house will hold value over right. a long period of time because people need to live somewhere, right? So there's an element of that as well. Uh, I do think the, the crash, the, the I think which I think is inevitable, the inevitable crash of the dollar is a component in all of this in their thinking. Is this, does this have anything to do with the fact, I mean, just connecting all of the crazy dots out there, but that seem to actually be connected in some way, does this have anything to do with Bill Gates owning the most farmland of anyone in the United States? Does that have anything to do with any of this or is that separate? Well, my guess is that it has everything to do with it. Uh, I think it absolutely is connected. I would argue almost Almost everything that happens is in some way related to this. This is a fundamental transformation of our society. And that doesn't come from that doesn't come from me. That comes from them. They're the ones saying this. They're the ones saying that we need to, in the words of John Kerry, uh, we need to change the social contract of our society yeah. because the existing social contract doesn't work. That's the kind of things that these people are saying at these meetings. Uh, Prince Charles said that COVID-19, the pandemic, was a golden opportunity, a golden opportunity to change society. Um, they, they are very clear that this is a total transformation of society. And as far as Bill Gates goes, Mike, the head of Microsoft, as uh, the, the CEO of that company, the, the president of that company, has been heavily involved in all of this great reset stuff. Microsoft has been deeply connected to the World Economic Forum, which is leading the charge on this whole great reset movement. I have no doubt that Bill Gates, at the very least, 
knows this is where everything is heading and knows that the best thing that he can do to make sure that he maintains his wealth in the future is to buy up hard assets, buy up land, because land will always be worth something because people need land, they need food to eat, and they need a place to live, so land will always be valuable, so he's purchasing it up. You also have the federal government talking about restricting land ownership pretty dramatically. Uh, Joe Biden has a 30 by 30 plan. His goal is for the federal government to control, conserve 30% of all land by 2030 in the United Why? States. Well, what's his reasoning for it? Is it some well, kind of conservation? Exactly. He's saying it's for environmental reasons. Uh, but I think that the reason is they're putting a squeeze on uh, on on everybody except for the people who are the elites. See, the elites know all this is coming, so they have time to put their money in land, to put their money in uh, housing developments, to put their money in the assets that are going to hold its value. Meanwhile, regular people have no clue that any of this stuff is going on. I had no clue any of this stuff was going on until about a year and a half ago when I started seeing crazy quotes from people at the World Economic Forum and I started looking into it. Uh, the average person has no clue what's happening. These people are all setting themselves up for the next phase. Um, and I have, I, I know that this is the case because they're the ones saying that they're doing all of this and their actions right. are speaking louder than their words. Now, how does China come in, come into play here? Because obviously if we lived in any kind of sane world, their, um, their ESG score would be very low. We know them to be <laughs> tyrannical. We know them to perpetuate all kinds of human rights abuses, not just in China, but also in how they're, you know, colonizing places in Africa and in South America. I mean, just one of the most destructive regimes in the world. And yet I can't see Bill Gates or any of these major corporations doing anything to punish China. As you said, it's really the West and America that they see as the the real problem. Um, so how did they come into play here? Do they um, like this plan? I mean, do they benefit from something like this? Yeah, that's that's a really, really important question. I think uh, they absolutely benefit from this system, but not in the way that people in the West uh, are benefiting from the system. What China wants more than anything. And by people and again, in the West benefiting from the system, you're talking about the corporations and the rich people. Right. You're not talking about exactly. you and me. The, the yeah. global elites in the West benefit from the system. Right. Regular people get totally screwed by it. Yeah. China benefits from the system not because they're going to be able to, you know, participate in it the same way that people like John Kerry are participating in it. The reason they benefit from it is because I think they know that this system is going to collapse the West. And what it's doing is it's creating an infrastructure to control society through corporations. That's what this whole ESG system is designed to do. And you're using the financial system in order to make this all run. If you think of the Great Reset as a machine, the machine runs on all of this printed cash, right? Well, what? and these corporations will do anything to get this money. And these investment firms are forcing them to go along with it using this money that's being printed. Well, what happens when the money stops becoming as valuable as it is right now? What happens if the dollar does collapse? Maybe it never does, but what happens if it does collapse? Well, then the system, the machine still exists. The infrastructure is still there to control society, but a power vacuum now exists. These corporations need money. They need money to keep operating. They will go anywhere where there's real wealth 
And guess who has lots of real wealth? Guess who's buying lots of assets? Guess who's purchasing gigantic mines and buying gold and taking dollars and, and building whole new infrastructure in places like Africa, like you described, and all over the East through the Belt and Road Initiative and all these things? It's China. So China can easily step into the void here when this whole system inevitably comes crashing down and use the Great Reset infrastructure that's being built now to force companies to do what it wants. It, 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 it doesn't, these corporations, they have no allegiance to America. They don't care. They've no. already shipped jobs and money overseas to China and places like that. They've been doing it for years. All they want is to keep the money flowing in. The other thing that China can do is actually buy stock in these companies. There's nothing stopping them from buying up companies through the stock market. They're going to do that too. So in that way, I think China is benefiting from this. From the perspective of these elites in the West, however, I think they believe, and if you listen to them talk, in fact, Joe Biden's been one of the clearest people on this point. They believe that the transformation of society that they're pushing is essential to battle China because they believe that the Chinese model of essentially markets mixed with authoritarianism is impossible to compete with uh, if you have a free market economy. The only way to compete with it is to move more in the direction of China and then maybe back it off a little bit before you get to you know, throwing people into concentration camps. And that's what this Great Reset is. I believe it is a competing system designed to try to beat China at its own game. And in reality, I don't think it's possible. I think they're going to lose. And I think they're handing China the greatest economic weapon of all time in building yeah. this gigantic infrastructure that can easily be controlled. I know we're getting like really far in the weeds here. No, but no, this is this is good. I mean, this covers the things that that we talk about. And by saying when you say I think that they're going to lose, you're talking about, you know, the Davos people. Uh, you're talking about them losing, but you're talking about them not losing and things getting better, but losing to China, right? That's right. And That's what exactly. would that loss then look like, look, look like? Because I agree with you. You can't move in the direction of authoritarianism and then back off because people in power never do that. By the way, they don't surrender power willingly and then say, okay, now, you know, we're back to regular capitalism, individualism, and all of that. So, if they do go that direction and they do lose to China, what does that look like? Right. So what it would mean is that this ESG system that exists where there's all these metrics that that provide scores to people based on a whole bunch of different things. And a lot of it is just woke left wing ideology that are put into these metrics. These metrics can be changed. There's nothing set in stone. There's no reason you can't change the metrics to be whatever it is the people with the money want them to be. And they can reward the companies, the people with the money can reward companies in any way that they see fit. So these metrics can change. They're easily changed. In fact, they change all the time. If China is the one with all the money and because the dollar has collapsed, because America is no longer the, the, the biggest uh, player in the global economy anymore, then China is the one that's going to be able to set the rules for how people have to operate. And our economy will easily be transformed through these corporations, through this Great Reset infrastructure, to serve the interests of China, whatever those interests are. And by serving the interests of China, I mean serving the Communist Party of China, who essentially controls everything over there. That's how this can all easily play out. And you're seeing uh, what I like to call canaries in the coal mine already. You're starting to see this already. 
Hollywood uh, caters to mm -hmm. China already. They change their movie advertisements, they alter movies, they do all sorts of things to make the Chinese government happy. We saw earlier uh, this year, John Cena, an actor, uh, apologize yeah. for offending China. LeBron James, the NBA. For just saying, I think John Cena just said something about Taiwan. Right. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was... He yeah, yeah in passing, he said Taiwan, we treated Taiwan as if it were a country, in sort of in passing. And this so angered the Communist Party of China that they demanded that he change. And he immediately bowed down to it. Uh, again, the NBA, LeBron James, all of these people, similar circumstances have happened with them where they've already done this. The head of Nike has recently come out and, and basically said that, you know, we're uh, our values align perfectly with, or not yeah. perfectly, but our values align with China's yeah. values. I mean, this is already starting to happen. The reason they're doing it is because China's got the money. They know that. If our system collapses because we're printing ourselves into oblivion and just spending reckless amounts of money, and I think that it will inevitably happen. The elites don't, but I think that they, that it will happen then China will become more powerful than ever and will be able to use that money to force our corporations and our businesses to go along with whatever China wants because they're going to be the ones with the real wealth. Yeah. So what will the world look like? This might sound to a lot of people like, well, how could this ever happen? Why, why, you know, why would America ever do what China wants? I think people need to understand the world has been doing what America wants for a very, very long time. So... All we're doing is flipping the script here. And instead of people having to do what America wants, instead of yeah. Americans making movies and creating corporate culture and exporting it to the world, China will do the same thing. They'll step in that role and then we will be beholden to them. Yeah. They have a lot more people than us. They have a, they're extremely authoritarian. The culture there is very, very different than the culture here. They're much more willing to be uh, live in an authoritarian society. Yeah. And over time, those gaps are only going to get bigger with population and wealth and all of that other stuff. I think we are on a path to lose this battle with China and for China to be able to use the infrastructure we're building now to control our society. Uh, and if and the worst part of it is, if I'm wrong and China can't beat our elites then our elites will be in charge of society. Yeah. So if we don't stop this movement of woke corporatism and cronyism and massive printing of money and all of these things that are happening, we, if we don't stop that, individual people are going to lose all of their freedom, either mm -hmm. to the elites or to China or to both. But it's going to happen. Yes, and I want to ask you more about that, how we, how we stop that, but I... First, I want to ask you about how a couple other things play into everything we're talking about. Well, first, let me say that we've talked about on this show before that there's always going to be a world superpower. Like you've heard a lot over the, especially the past year and a half, people who, you know, read Howard's End, a people's uh, history of America, and they think that they really know that America is this bad, awful place, and they're actually okay with America not being the great superpower anymore because America doesn't deserve it, because we're so racist and awful. And actually, you saw this a lot in Barack Obama's presidency. Even if the Great Reset wasn't something that was necessarily prevalent when Barack Obama took office, I do think that the whole apology tour, the whole um, idea that America really has never been that great. America really, really isn't 
you know, this uh, city on a hill that we need to, that the rest of the world needs to follow. That started a long time ago. That really started, well, in academia, it started decades ago. But I think in the presidency, it kind of started under Barack Obama. And a lot of what we're seeing right now, even with, you know, it might sound crazy to connect this, but even what we're seeing with critical race theory and what's being taught in public schools and what's being taught in colleges, this what I think is a completely erroneous look at the United States as just this um, uh, pervasively evil power both here and abroad that has never been good, never been for justice, never been for true liberty, never been for truth. All of that, that self-loathing that I think has been imported uh, by communist China and maybe some you know, other foreign regimes and is also just kind of burgeoned here organically, I think that that plays into all of this because if you've got a people that doesn't even really believe in liberty anymore, you don't even really believe in the ideals on which we are founded and you actually buy into this idea that, you know, Western civilization really isn't all that great, then you're going to be much less resistant to what's coming, especially, and we see that especially right now with people being willing to say, you know, mandatory vaccine passports and all that, people are so willing to exchange all of their liberty for a little bit of temporary safety. Um, And I think that that is accelerating this transformation of society. Do you agree with that? Yeah, without a doubt. There's no doubt at all. One of the most interesting things about what's happened over the past uh, few decades in America is that the left, in an effort to try to create this fundamental transformation, has attempted to destroy uh, basically every part of our existing system and and undermine American history and undermine all of the fundamental values that have made this country so great for so long. That's all been part of the process as you just beautifully laid out. There's, There's no doubt about that whatsoever. What's interesting about that is they're so eager to burn the system down. Yeah. But there's no clear plan for what we replace it with after the fact. Even the people on the left all disagree with each other about what that world should look like. Uh, In other words, there are lots of uh, left-wing feminists who don't agree with a lot of what the LGBTQ plus community wants to do, right? There are people who are uh, uh, sympathetic to radical Islam on the left. How does that fit in with radical feminism on the left? None of this makes any sense. It's, it's, It's the schizophrenia of the left. And they have no objective moral standard upon which to base their ideology. They have no way of knowing what really is true and what really isn't true, what is a right and what really isn't right, because they essentially have rejected the foundations of Western civilization, meaning, you know, Judeo-Christianity, essentially, and the principles that have come from that to the point where it just becomes an argument with really no end. And so while, but what's crazy about it is, for whatever reason that they believe in radical feminism or Black Lives Matters or you name whatever the cause du jour is on the left, whatever that is, in the East, they don't believe in any of it. No, they don't. They, they, they don't believe in <laughs> they any don't. of it. And neither do the elites, honestly. All of these people that are giving these ESG scores, they might say that they do, but I think that that is... 
that's betrayed by their allegiance to China. If they really cared about any of that, do you think that they would be partnering with the regime that is colonizing Africa and has a million Muslims in a concentration camp? Of course not. So they don't really care about that either. It's always about power. It's always about more control. Those ESG scores, I think, allows them to do that in a way that seems virtuous enough, not even just for the left in America, but for most Americans that view themselves as tolerant, that they're just willing to go along with it. And tolerance, um, while it can be a beautiful thing, especially when you have people that all have the same basic worldview and basic values, it can also end up um, being, it can also end up being a bad thing because uh, you're so tolerant, so open-minded to anything that you are unable, as you were saying, to actually be able to distinguish between virtue and virtue signaling or the truth and a lie. And we certainly see that when it comes to especially what kids today um, are learning and the confusion around sex and gender and morality and reality, how postmodernism has really just kind of taken over. And I I think that that plays into all of this too, not just the self-loathing that comes from things like CRT and all of that, but um, also the, the confusion that I think is wrought through progressive ideologies and and postmodernism rejecting what we know about human nature, what we know about biology, what we know about um, public safety, for example, the defunding the police, all of it just works together to destroy America from the inside so that when the outside comes in, it's a lot easier to take us down. That's what I kind of see happening. Yeah, I, I think there's no doubt about it whatsoever. And there are a lot of people on the left who believe who are you talked about trading a little bit of uh, of they're trading your freedom for a little bit of security. What the left is doing is they're trading their their entire future, the entire future of America, including their own future and their own ideas and their own freedoms for a little bit of wokeism, when in reality, what's going to happen is the system that they're allowing to exist, or in some cases building uh, and, and, and contributing to, is going to be eventually, if the dollar collapses, if the United States is no longer the world's most powerful country, it's going to be taken over by people who believe none of the things that these people believe. And as you said, you know, do you really think the people who are colonizing Africa care about Black Lives Matters? No. Do you, have you seen some of the racist commercials that exist in China yeah. about African American? I mean, these things are the, the culture there is totally different, and they are much more tolerant over there uh, about authoritarianism. The history of China, the history of the East, is a battle of various kinds of authoritarianism. Yeah. That's that's all it is. Yeah. They don't understand individual liberty the way we understand individual liberty. And if we haven't learned our lesson from engaging in the West with the Middle East, for example, where we've tried to nation build and we've tried to do all these things and get people to adopt uh, individual liberty, when in a lot of cases, depending on the place you're talking about, those people didn't want that. They didn't yeah. believe in it. They had a, a religion that didn't allow for it in some cases. Um, and so if we're not, if we haven't learned our lesson from that, then we are going to be in a huge, huge crisis at yeah. some point in the very near future, because we cannot just say to ourselves, well, you know what, we're America and we're always going to be the most powerful country in the world. And no one's ever going to pose any sort of threat to us. All of the evidence suggests that we are on the road to losing that place and not being the global yeah. superpower. All the evidence suggests it. And in throughout the history of world civilization, one empire after another has fallen and now become essentially irrelevant. It can easily happen to us. 
And it might take a little bit longer. I don't know when it's going to happen, but if we don't change, if we don't change directions now, if we don't get off this road we're on now, I am certain it is going to happen to us, just given enough time. Okay, guys, you know what time it is. It's time to talk about Good Ranchers. So you've been thinking about purchasing Good Ranchers because you've heard me talk about it every day for the past few months. And you've been putting it off for who knows what reason, but you have really wanted to. And here, here's me today to push you over the edge into buying Good Ranchers. It really is going to make your life so much easier. They've got high-quality beef and chicken, better than organic chicken, might I add, that they put in individual packaging, vacuum seal, they ship it right to your door, you put it in your freezer or you grill it right away, you can do pre-marinated chicken, non-pre-marinated chicken, all the cuts of beef that you want, you pick it out online, and then... I mean, your life is so much easier. You don't have to go to the grocery store and wonder, okay, is this the right cut of meat? Is this high quality? Plus 80% of the craft beef that you that you find in grocery stores is actually imported from overseas, but not at Good Ranchers. All of their meat is 100% American, coming from American farmers. If that's something that you care about, which I personally believe that you should, then Good Ranchers is a great option for you. This also makes a really great gift. Like if your husband or your dad or your brother or whoever is having, uh, you know, a birthday coming up and you know they like to grill, then this is a really awesome gift for them. Um, also, if you subscribe, so if you want this box of meat to come every month or consistently, you can save 20% on each box. Plus, with my promo code, Allie, A-L-L-I-E, or my link, goodranchers.com slash Allie, you get an additional $20 off and free express shipping. So that's goodranchers.com slash Allie or promo code Allie for $20 off and free express shipping. Goodranchers.com slash Allie, goodranchers.com slash Allie. And people on the progressive left, there are people who are outspoken about just not liking America and they think, okay, well, it's fine that we're not the world superpower. You have no idea what you are talking about because if it's not us, it's going to be China. And as you've already laid out so perfectly, they don't have the same values. They don't care about transgender stuff. They don't care about Black Lives Matter. They don't care about critical race theory. They don't care about equity. Certainly don't care about equity. They don't care about equality. They certainly don't believe in free speech or freedom of religion. They don't believe in any of the things that even people on the left in America still hold dear, even if they say that they don't like the country. That's why I just don't have any tolerance for, I mean, yes, I do believe that we should talk about the bad things that America has done. We should talk about injustice. That's one beautiful thing of living in a free country, unlike China, where they try to cover up the bad things of their past and present. We can talk about them openly and try to fix them. I think that's a beautiful thing about America. So I'm fine with talking about all that. Kids should learn about slavery and all and Jim Crow and all the terrible things that America has done. But People who try to delegitimize America altogether by saying, well, we live on stolen land or America was really founded on white supremacy. Like, do you know the history of the world? Do you know the history of every single country that has ever lived that has been littered with way worse stuff even than the United States? I'm not saying that that doesn't make some of the things that we have done bad, but I am saying that we need to realize that as you said, the entire world is basically a story of competing oppressors and the oppressed. It's a story of competing tribes. It's a story of competing dictators, competing tyrants. It's a story of bloodshed. It's a story of a boot stamping on people's faces forever until 
the West and more specifically the United States. So have do we have a lot of flaws? Yes, we do. But people who just refuse to see that we are the exception and that it's good for us to be the world superpower and not China. I just don't have any tolerance for that anymore because I know too much. And like you said, like we see where this is going. It's terrifying. It's not going to be a good world if America is not the strongest. Um, You talk about turning this around. Well, it seems like it, it feels like from hearing what you're saying that we're totally powerless to do that. Why do they care about what you and I say? They've got all the money and the capital and the power in the world. How do we turn this around? So this is going to be a little bit scary, what I'm, what I'm about to say, but I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think that the only hope we have to turn things around is to take advantage of a very small window of time that we have right now where the system is not yet totally, completely in place. Once the system is totally and completely in place and there are clear international ESG standards and the money is still flowing in and all of this, there is not going to be any way to turn this around. It's not going to be possible. The only way to stop this in America, it's not possible to stop it in Europe, I think. It is a total done deal. In fact, the European Union earlier this year, uh, the European Parliament, which is part of the European Union, voted to make a mandatory ESG system. And if the European Commission uh, approves of this and they have to formally propose it and approve it, which is expected to happen later this year and potentially early next year, then it is going to become the law in the European Union that you have ESG standards and that companies that don't comply with those ESG standards will get punished. And it's not just the companies in the European Union, it's every company in the value chain for those companies. So any company that does business with those companies, whether they're in the European Union or not, has to also go along with this ESG system. So this is already happening in Europe. I don't think it's possible to save them at this point in time. The only chance we have in America, because we're just a little bit behind Europe on all of these things, is to get politicians in place who are going to make rules and regulations that prevent these financial institutions from engaging in this whole crony system and from stopping all of this rampant money printing from the Fed and the funneling of this money printing into these elites and coffers and financial institutions that are willing to uh, impose this ESG system that want to impose it. That's the only thing that we can do. And so between now and the time that we put people in place that will do that, hopefully, uh, because Joe Biden and Democrats are not going to do it. They are all part of this. No, they're in, totally in part cases. of it. Even I'm just totally thinking part. about H.R. 1 federalizing elections to make sure that no one can get put in place that will stop this kind of thing. And I don't think that every single Democrat is consciously a part of it. I think that they genuinely think that they are doing good for society and all that. I don't think that AOC and Cori Bush you know, by having their own private security, but advocating for defunding the police for a regular folk. I don't I don't think that they are thinking about the Great Reset, but they are absolutely playing into it. And by the way, it's not just Democrats. Don't you think that there are some Republicans that are responsible for this kind of stuff, especially the Republicans that have their only policy has been corporate tax cuts for the past 30 years? Without, with, without a doubt. There's no doubt about it whatsoever that Republicans have completely played into this. This is not a uh, Republican-Democrat thing. This is not a conservative-liberal thing. You could be a socialist and not think that the yeah. global institution should be making remaking society and in charge of everything. This is an elites versus everybody else kind of thing. 
And there are elites in the Republican Party, just like there are elites in the Democrat Party who are involved in all of this. Joe Biden and his administration is absolutely big supporters of this. And the proof of that is John Kerry is an open supporter of the Great Reset. He's actually come right out and said that he supports the Great Reset. And in November, after the presidential election was over, John Kerry went to an event at the World Economic Forum. I think it was virtual. And they asked him, the president of the World Economic Forum asked him about the Great Reset in America. And John Kerry and and asked if they were asking too much of Joe Biden to, to you know, create this great reset in America really quickly. And John Kerry said, you're not asking too much of Joe Biden. The great reset is going to happen and it's going to happen faster than anyone realizes when with greater intensity than anyone realizes. That's what John Kerry said when he was asked specifically about Joe Biden and the great reset. And now John Kerry is in charge of climate policy for the White House. And he's in the White House making these policies that are right in line with the Great yeah. Reset. Climate policy so is another no doubt one. They're part of it. A climate policy is another one. It is a John Kerry does not care about the freaking climate. He would not be, uh, he would not be jetting about in his private jet. Barack Obama would not have a house in Martha's Vineyard if we were really worried about the world being ruined by. By climate change, but they have fear mongered this so much that I think especially the younger generation sees anything done uh, in at least ostensibly to help climate change as good. John Kerry doesn't care about this. All of these issues that the people at the top say that they care about, they don't really care about. They don't care about. Um, And I just think the people on the right and the left are so quick to just kind of give in to every kind of social and political change that happens in the name of equity and compassion and empathy and all of that without realizing it's all about empowering people who don't care about your liberty. They don't care about your well-being. And you also see how possibly policies that advocate for the breakdown of the family, the loss of parental rights, policies that go after religious liberty, that go after religion in general. I mean, always the the history of dictatorships, especially in the 20th century, has been going after the family unit and going after religion, going after patriotism, definitely. These are values that really they kind of stave off government encroachment because if people are getting their values and they're getting their provision, they're getting their security from a unit and institution that is not the government that controls them, well, that's a problem for a government that does want to control you. Um, And so it's all playing together. And I'm kind of realizing all of this and it's super scary. And I don't really, I don't, I mean, I don't know what to do about it. I know we put people in power, but what, I I don't know what to do on a daily basis. And I don't want people to leave feeling hopeless. Yeah. I I think that the the best thing that people can do right now is, is to talk about it with other people in a relatable way. And to start with people who are their friends and their family members who are most likely to listen to them. And, And the reason I say that is because until the system fully goes into place, there is uh, there is some pressure that can be put on these big corporations, these big banks and others to avoid talking about this. Uh, you know, I, I know for a fact because I've been working with with Glenn with Glenn Beck on a, on a book about the Great Reset for like over a year now. Yeah. And uh, what some of the there's been times where he and I have talked about certain banking institutions on the air and how they're buying into this ESG system and how they're going to use it to impose their will on other people. And we've had banks 
big multi-billion dollar bank, some of the biggest financial institutions in the world, contact Glenn's like people ones? and say, uh, I can't say okay. because we promised we wouldn't, but top five banks in America, talk to Glenn's people and say, you know, you, you shouldn't talk about this. You're getting it all wrong. And, and then when we would ask, well, what did we get wrong? They would say, well, you know, you're not getting the facts wrong, but you know, all these but things. But they cared. They cared do. that you said something. They cared. And that's the point. So they are still afraid that they're trying to, it's like they're trying to rob a bank. And the last thing you want to do if you're trying to rob a bank is have people on the street say, Hey, is that guy trying to rob a bank? That's not what you want. What you want is just get out. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get out with the money as fast as they possibly can. So if we can expose it, we might be able to slow it down long enough to get politicians in place who will hopefully do the right thing. But it starts with slowing the process down between now and the upcoming elections. Yeah. And all these little things matter. You don't necessarily have to have a politician who every day is talking about the Great Reset, but all the things that stand in the way of those elites doing what they want to do, um, everything that preserves liberty and the family unit and religious liberty, all these things, even though they might not seem like they have something to do with that great grand reset that might seem far off to people, but all these things actually really do matter. And there's a couple other things I just want to ask you if it's connected at all to this or at least will be used uh, to be connected to all of this. One is vaccine passports. People, you know, are really nervous about that, that basically everyone is going to have to have this app on their phone showing verification of, vaccines. And we're not even talking about your stance on vaccines, but vaccine passports. Does that play into this and just the hopes of limiting people's freedom? Yeah, I think that vaccine passports are incredibly dangerous, not because of the vaccine passport itself, but because, again, it's infrastructure that you're building that you can use for other things in the future. And that's what all of this movement is all about. It's about using technology and modern finance and money printing and other and regulations to create an infrastructure that can then be expanded upon to to use for other things. So if you can require people to have an app that uh, shows that you've been vaccinated, why can't you require people to have an app that serves very similar function for things that have nothing to do with vaccinations, but maybe just... Being healthy, maybe you can't go to a fast food restaurant unless you have an, uh, a, a, you know, permission on your app that you've been exercising three times a week. You know, yeah. why can't they do things like that? In the United Kingdom, they actually have health apps that are designed to try to encourage people to live a healthier lifestyle. That's rolled out by the NHS, the government health service over there. Uh, there, I mean. These kinds of things can easily become authoritarian. And so do we want to wait for them to become authoritarian before we oppose them? No, because by then it's too late. It's almost impossible to get rid of them. You got to kill it before it becomes a huge problem. Why take the risk? We don't need vaccine passports. Not really. So why take the risk? that it poses to our individual rights. We have to oppose all of these kinds of things in every way that we possibly can so that we can slow this train down long enough to put people in place who will take it seriously and hopefully reverse it. Yeah. Now, your Twitter profile says that you are a libertarian federalist. Um, When I hear libertarian, I think just small government, but it seems like you're calling for, and I would be calling for, the federal government to step in in some of these areas and say... No, 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 we're not going this direction. What do you think? Well, I think what's interesting about this is that there are a lot of libertarians 
who would argue that we should just let corporations do whatever they want, let banks do whatever they want, because corporations and banks, they're private institutions. But the thing is, they're not private institutions, not really, not right. in a truly free market sense. They are creations of government. Corporations have different laws, they have different regulations, they pay different taxes, they are literally an invention of the federal government. You file paperwork in states and in and with the federal government to some extent to create new corporations and to pay certain tax rates and to have limited liability so that you can't be punished for the things that your businesses do. This isn't the same thing as some person who's a farmer that owns right. their own land and or has a little restaurant or a coffee shop or something that they own outright. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about institutions who are essentially quasi-government or government-sanctioned at the very least institutions with all kinds of special benefits that they're, that they're surviving on and thriving on and becoming super rich on. Uh, social media companies are a great example of this. The idea that social media companies, these big gigantic corporations, should have the ability to silence people based on their based on their speech because they don't like their speech. We're not talking about pornography or things like that. We're right. just talking about people who say things Saying that they don't like. a man is a man. Yeah, exactly. Something you know about. I mean, the, the idea that that is, is perfectly fine because they're a private institution and they have rights is completely nonsensical. The only reason they are allowed to exist, the only reason that uh, Twitter or Facebook exists is because we have special federal laws that allow them to escape liability when people go on their platforms and say things that are obviously wrong. You can't go to Twitter and sue Twitter for, for libel and slander and things like that because people on Twitter are saying things that are factually incorrect about you. That's because we have special laws that allow these companies to exist. Without those special laws from the federal government, these companies could not exist. Yeah. So they have all made billions and billions and billions of dollars off of the federal government providing them with special protections. And then we're told they can do whatever they want. They can silence anyone they want. Well, then what's to stop the federal government from, in effect, creating a private institution that, I don't know, runs the power in society yeah. and then just cuts off electricity from anybody who doesn't agree with them about, you know, whatever it happens to be, right? And that is, that, I mean, that's that fascism. That's fascism. And exactly. and the very people who call themselves anti-fascist and think that everyone on the right is fascist, they don't understand how actually, I mean, yes, Republican politicians, as we've already noted, definitely play into this as well. But these woke corporations are working together with the Democratic Party and the Democrats that are in power right now to be able to not just secure their power even more, but also put these very onerous burdens on the public. And you're yes, sure, Twitter can't throw you into jail. And so it's not technically a violation of the First Amendment, but it is creating a particular culture, a very self-censorious um, culture in which really the principles of free speech and of liberty in general aren't really thriving. And I appreciate what you said, that libertarians, I think, in their truest sense, recognize that any concentration of power Power, any abuse of power, whether it's in corporations or the government, is something that we should be resisting. It's not, okay, only if they are an elected official. All kinds of abuses of power um, matter because they affect people's lives. Um, last thing I think I want to ask you about, last thing, um, do you have an opinion on Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, um, you know, as a hedge against the collapse of the dollar? Like, how do you think that plays into this? I'm sure some people are wondering that. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, in full transparency, I do own some Bitcoin and I do own some cryptocurrencies. Uh, I think that um, it's very possible that the dollar is going to collapse. And it's not entirely clear when that happens what the best way is to hedge against the dollar collapsing. There are people that believe that you should buy gold. There are people who believe that you should buy cryptocurrencies. There are people who believe that you should buy property. I personally think that if, if I had lots and lots of money, I'd put it in everything. Uh, that's a hard asset. I'd put it in, including in cryptocurrency, which is kind of a hard asset, uh, because I believe the existing system is going to collapse. And unless you diversify your wealth, and I'm not a financial advisor or anything like that, but unless you diversify your wealth, you're putting yourself in a very, very risky situation. Because at the end of the day, the big gigantic financial institutions, the big corporations, foreign countries, they are putting their money in gold, they're putting their money in silver, they're putting their money in mines, they're putting money in farms. As you said, Bill Gates, one of the richest people in the world, he's buying up massive amounts of farmland. They're buying hard assets, including cryptocurrency. And so I think that if they're doing that, it's probably a good idea for regular people to do it too, because there's a really good chance that they know something that we don't know. Yeah. And I think the more that I've learned about this whole thing, the more confident I am that eventually the dollar is going to collapse and I don't want to be left penniless when that happens. Yeah. Okay. Actually, a couple more things. Eviction moratorium. Do you think that that is a purposeful attack on property owners and um, on, you know, middle working class landlords in the same way that, you know, companies like BlackRock buying these properties, turning them to rental property is actually preventing the working class from, you know, creating equity and wealth. Um, do you think that those things are are working together? Are they similar? It is impossible to know for sure whether it's deliberately being put into place in order to help further this whole concentration of property in the hands of corporations. But what I do know is this, it is helping that whole thing. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. And when Joe Biden, uh, you know, extends the eviction moratorium in certain areas, had, the fact that we had an eviction moratorium in the first place, that was without a doubt screwing over landlords who are just regular people who owned a second property or a third property or something like that and yeah. were using renting it out. That's Those 70% of landlords in the United States, by the way, 70% of rental properties are owned by landlords with just one or two properties that's just trying to feed their families. It's not some right. you know rich, miser, miserly guy at the head of a corporation. They're just regular working class people. Right. And the corporations, they can absorb that loss for a little while. That's not a problem for them. They can say, okay, yeah, some people won't pay our rent and yeah, we'll lose money this quarter, maybe next quarter, maybe the quarter after that, but that's okay. Eventually, this property is gonna be worth lots of money. Eventually, we're gonna get our money back and we don't have to worry about any of this. And we also know that if we really need money, if we ever really start running out of money, we could just go to the banks and they're gonna give us lots of money for low interest rates. So it doesn't really matter. Regular people who are landlords, who own these properties and are just trying to survive uh, and use them as income, those people can't do that. They just lose their property. They just lose the, the value of their homes. They just end up getting screwed as a result of this. So whether this is an intentional plan, I don't know. Unlike some of the other stuff we talked about before, I've never heard anyone 
talk about it in a way yeah. that would make it sound like it's intentional. But if it isn't intentional, it's having the exact same effect right. as if it were intentional. So in Even a way, it almost doesn't matter. Right. right. Um, just just quickly, just to name another boogeyman, in addition to uh, Bill Gates, who, as I say, if you don't want to be at the center of all these conspiracy theories, not that this is, but other conspiracy theories, then don't be so sketchy. Like, don't be so sketchy. He's so sketchy. And the same thing with George Soros. Like, people say that he's a right-wing boogeyman. The dude is sketchy. He's doing a lot of stuff. Does he have anything to do with any of the things that we've been talking about? Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, George Soros is actually famous for hanging out in Davos. He hosts a really elaborate dinner party there every year where the, it's like the most elite event that you could possibly get into. Only the elites of the elites are allowed to do that. George Soros is also strangely one of the primary funders of the Marxist left here in the United States who supposedly want to eat the rich. Uh, the whole Black Lives Matters movement, the organization itself, which is openly yep. calling for the destruction of the family, which is called for Marxism and the collective ownership of property, all the things that you would think the Davos people wouldn't like, they are owned by the Tides Foundation, and one of the largest donors to the Tides Foundation is George Soros. Yep. So George Soros is hanging out with the Davos people while funding Marxists in the streets at the same time, it makes you think that he's probably got a plan here. It's yeah. create lots of chaos, take exactly. advantage of that chaos through these other policies. So yeah, absolutely, George Soros and people like him, I think, are involved. And in also helping the DAs across the country, progressive DAs across the country that are put in place that are for defunding the police, they're for bail reform, they're for so-called criminal justice reform that really just ends up putting murderers, violent criminals back into the streets, committing more crime, creating chaos and disarray, um, and just the destruction of some of America's most beautiful cities um, have now really spiraled out of control. Not It's not just because of George Soros, it's also just because of policies independent of him, but certainly his organization has funded the campaigns of a lot of the people who are making these policies and making sure that America's greatest and most powerful and most profitable cities um, are destroyed by crime and homelessness and public drug use and, and all of that. And we're only and it's such a distraction, not that COVID doesn't matter and that it's not real because it does. I know people who have been very seriously impacted by it, but you can see how it's at the very least being used as an excuse to distract us from other very pressing, important issues. Um, and it's also being used as an excuse, of course, to accumulate power. And man, this is the stuff of like, if you don't want people to go down the rabbit holes of conspiracy theories of thinking the election was stolen and thinking that Joe Biden is really just a, a plant so that people could elect this, you know, middle of the road Joe so all the Great Reset stuff could go on behind the scenes. I mean, and the, or that coronavirus was purposely created, released from the lab to, to you know, wreak all of this destruction and chaos. I mean, I'm not saying that all of that stuff is true. I'm just saying I can see how people would get there based on what is absolutely true, right? Uh, yeah, w w without a doubt. It's really easy to, to go down that rabbit hole when you look at the money and you look at how rich these people are getting and you look at the policies that they're putting in place and you look at the quotes that they're saying, the mountain of direct quotes of them talking about yeah. 
fundamentally transforming the world and pushing the reset button on the global economy and every country must participate, including China and the United States. Including people like Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau, nice guy, you know, not a radical. Of course he is, but he said that outright. He said we need a great reset. Yeah. Oh, uh, basically, the entire G7 has at one point or another called directly for a great reset. The head of the United Nations, head of the International Monetary Fund. These people are all these major institutions are openly talking this way. And so, yeah, it's really easy to look at those things and say, well, geez, if they're doing this and this is just the stuff we know that they're saying and this is just the stuff we know they're spending money on and this is just the strategies we know about. What are the things we don't know about? Right. And it's really easy to get lost in this other because the truth is we don't know everything they're doing and we never will know everything we're doing because people like you and I are not invited to the dinner parties with George Soros in Davos, unfortunately, they're just, they're just, we're not welcome there. So we're never going to know all of the answers, but I don't need to know more than I already know. What I already know makes it difficult to fall asleep at night. I don't want to know yeah. more than this. Right. And just knowing what we know now is enough to, it should be enough for people to be concerned that we have to change directions or else we're totally screwed. Yeah. Wokeness is being used as the vehicle to destroy the institutions in the West so the West can be, you know, minimized, belittled, made small so that it will easily conform to either, like you said, the power of China or the power of um, these elites. And once if we get there, which I pray to God that we don't, they're going to abandon all of these um, woke values. And gosh, we haven't even talked about how the military and the intelligence agencies in the United States are also being overtaken by that destructive, divisive stuff, which will also help lead to our demise. So this has been a very positive, optimistic (laughs) episode. Uh, Thank you so much. If this doesn't red pill people, I don't know what will. Um, How can people support you, follow you, and all that good stuff? Sure, they can go to stoppingsocialism.com or follow me on social media, Justin T. Haskins on just about everything, Facebook, socialist, Twitter, Parler, everything that you can think of. (laughs) Okay, thanks so much, Justin. Thanks, Allie. All right, I promised that I would give you guys a little bit of encouragement after that. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? That was a big conversation. I know, but I'm reminding you that there is no power Um, that can thwart God's ultimate sovereign will. There is nothing that can stop him from coming back and ruling in perfect justice and peace. There's nothing and no one that can stop him from exacting uh, perfect justice. He will destroy uh, the wicked. He will destroy the evildoer. So I'm going to uh, read you just two segments, uh, one from Psalm 2 and one from Psalm 37 that I want you to take in and meditate on and realize um, is the ultimate truth that's bigger than everything that we talked about today. Um, so first, Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so God is in charge. He laughs at the ones who think that they are in power. Um, he is holding the people who think that they are in charge in derision. And 
he realizes that they don't recognize that he is ultimately in control of everything. And then here are some segments from Psalm 37. My favorite psalm, it is so calming to me and gives me so much peace. So Psalm 37, starting in verse one, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noon day. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices." I could read this entire chapter. It's all relevant to what we were just uh, talking about. Um, I would encourage you to read on it, to meditate on it, to pray about it, to receive it as uh, true. And remember, God's work and what He is doing doesn't always make headlines. We don't see everything that God is doing, but He is the only one that is omniscient. He's the only one that's omnipotent. He's the only one that's omnipresent. Um, all human beings, even the most powerful and rich human beings, uh, even the most powerful corporations, they're just finite. There is no match for God. There's no match for God. And as um, his children, we can rest in that. That doesn't mean that there won't be scary times. There won't be uh, suffering that is upcoming because I think that we know that that's true, but we can trust in him. We can hope in him. And our responsibility is not just to sit on our hands and fret. Um, it is to obey him and to be bolder than ever in sharing the gospel and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And again, speaking up for that which we know is good and right and true. Um, that's all I've got for you today. Uh, I hope that it ended on an encouraging and empowering note for you guys, and I will see you back here tomorrow.